Welcome to Why Wonders Why, a companion podcast to smart enough to know better. This episode is called Jefferson Starfish. Dan and I are not just ticklers of your science, comedy, and ignorance funny bones. We're both formers. Between us, we have decades of experience. We've written plays, we've performed in plays, we've directed them, we've been involved in all sorts of improvised things, not just plays, all sorts of comedy nights and general acting shenanigans. If you can think of it, we've been involved in it on some level. We both love it. Now, this is important because we sometimes do collaborations or collabs as the cool kids on YouTube now call it. And we did a collab with Raven On, which is the Game of Thrones podcast with Natalie Behensky and Disco Stew Stuart Late. Both of them have been on our podcast as well. Now I'm not going to explain it and let Natalie explain it. Just sit back and enjoy Jefferson's Starfish. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to this very special edition of Who's Raven On? The Jefferson Starfish episode. Now, in case you aren't aware, Stu and I had a very stupid idea (laughs) about four episodes into the Who's Raven On podcast to create an episode, our own episode of Doctor Who based on a giant starfish named Jefferson Starfish, inspired by Jefferson Starship. A whole bunch of ideas have then gone into, as we rolled through the uh, podcast... Many of them contradicting each other. Yes, so I have taken a bunch of them, put them into and created an episode, and that is what we're about to record live here, right now. Uh, We have a cast here, none of whom have seen the script. They do not know what's going to happen, and it's probably going to be... Look, it's probably going to be like a mid-tier or lower episode comparative to So basically, pretty much on par with the rest of the season. <laughs> let's yes. hope, let's hope. Um, so of course we have, um, now I will be playing the Doctor. I'm not playing Jodie Whittaker's Doctor, I'm just playing the Doctor. And Stu will be playing my companion, Stu, mm. um, which will be a stretch for The realms of wise. the imagination. That's right. Um, so to complete out the cast, we have Nick Wiggins. Hey! We have Greg from the Smart Enough to Know Better podcast. And we have Scott Driscoll, long-time listener and eager volunteer for... Greetings, people, yes. (laughs) Eager volunteer for this project. Um, So, none of you... uh, You can confirm none of you have seen the script, apart from the first page. I'm I'm seeing the first chunk of it right now. first chunk of it. Uh, I believe Greg is going to take up the narrator role to begin with. Mm -hmm. So, we will start... Oh, and we're going to be doing live sound effects where possible. (laughs) Oh, we are. Well, if there's instruction there for sound effects, we're going to try and attempt to do them. Um, just with our mouths, not with, you know, anything else. This is a live podcast recording of a Doctor Who episode. Let's start now with Jefferson Let me narrate. Star- Let me narrate. Okay. <laughs> Jefferson Starfish, a Doctor Who story. Inside the TARDIS, typical crashing, banging sounds as a time machine approaches its destination. Woo! I- see a solar eclipse, Doctor, but I didn't think it would be this much trouble. Don't worry, Stu, we're almost there. There are 
time a dozen really, but the total solar eclipse over California on New Year's Day 1889 is one of the best. I promise you it'll be worth it. Sound of the TARDIS landing and stabilizing. That's it, good girl. See, back to your old self. The doctor and Stu open the door. It's dark outside, misty and cold. Wow! We got here right in the middle of totality. I can't see anything. This is brilliant. Bells chime in the distance. Bong, 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 bong. I'm not sure this is California, Doctor. Of course it is. Give it a few minutes and the sun will come out again and there'll be nothing to see but coastline and orange groves. The sound of horses' hooves on cobblestones. I'm just not getting L.A. vibes here, Doctor. No, the TARDIS definitely got it right this time. A small cockney newspaper boy runs past. Extra, extra, read all about it. New Year brings new crime wave to London. Damn it, girl! We're back home, but what New Year is it? The doctor grabs the cockney boy. What's your name? Alan Cumming, miss. Do you the wooden pews or not, miss? Wooden pews? Do you want a butcher's at me linen draper? (laughs) Can you even Adam and Eve it? That old geezer who done a kebabbed up the apples and pears. Me finger and thumb doesn't even want me out, but if I don't make a few bob out here on me Jack and Jones, me little brother will rhubarb me up the hole. Rhubarb me up the hole. <laughs> Can you believe it? Could I end up in the kitchen sink? <laughs> it's lucky the TARDIS automatically translates all alien languages and cockney rhyming slang into something I can understand. I think he wants us to buy his newspaper. I don't have any cash, but here's a jammy dodger. Yeah. <gasps> he cries what? and runs away. You can't say that to a boy. The what doctor shakes her head at Stu's <laughs> obvious insult. Well, what's the news? The Doctor unfolds the paper and stares at the oversized headline, which is below the date of publication of 1 January 1889. Jack the Ripper is back! Whitechapel. Very nice. Early morning. The Doctor and Stu are walking at pace through the streets, which are bustling with everyday activity of trans- oh, goodness. everyday activity of tradespeople, shopkeepers, street hawkers, and drunks on their way home. Yeah, get out of it. Stop touching my jammy dodger! Oh, I'm a prostitute! Jack the Ripper cannot be back. It's 1889. Isn't that when he was killing all those prostitutes? Jack the Ripper committed five murders in Whitechapel between August and November of 1888. He disappeared into history after that. And they're sex workers, not prostitutes, Stu. Here in the East End in late 19th century, sex work was often the only way for women to make money. They already have the Victorian middle class judging them. They don't need you doing it too. I'm sorry, Doc. I'll try to be more sex positive. Good. 
hey, want to see my big O positive face? Hey? hey? That joke would not be okay if you were still a man. Oh. <laughs> they stop by a group of bobbies running around a roped-off area with dirty-faced Victorian working-class types milling around trying to get a look in. The doctor flushes her psychic paper. Scotland Yard, forensics. The policeman on duty lets them pass and walk to the corpse. I know I'm going to sound like a freak, but I can't believe we're about to see a real ripper victim. They see the body. Stu immediately hurls. <laughs> this is not a ripper victim. I don't know, Doc. It looks pretty ripped up to me. Stu, Jack the Ripper is the world's most infamous serial killer. Apart from the name, what is the one thing everyone knows about him? Stu looks blank. Jack the Ripper. Was not a killer of men. <laughs> wow. <laughs> That's a brave choice. <laughs> the doctor and Stu... <laughs> the doctor and Stu turn to see Inspector Frederick Aberline staring at them coolly. He is short, plainly dressed, not flashy, with a bowler hat and a moustache. There is a musical sting that gets conveyed. How cool it is. This is an episode's first historical celebrity cameo. <laughs> That's right! Jack the Ripper killed women. You're Inspector Abilene. She holds up her psychic paper. I'm the doctor, and this is my laboratory assistant, Stuart Late. Governor? I've always wanted to say that. Uh, don't re- <coughs> I don't recall you from <laughs> Scotland Yard. Uh... You must have transferred in after I was seconded back here to Whitechapel to deal with the murders. Yes, that's right! Terrible business. Still unsolved all this time later. The last murder was less than two months ago. That is not much time. The case still can be solved. The doctor tries to look hopeful. Sure it can. But you must think this is a copycat case. If so, it was a particularly big cat. I'm not aware of any reports of escapes from the (laughs) London Zoo. I shall have to continue my original thesis. That someone is, intimid- is imitating the Whitechapel murderer. That's what the doctor... Stu, collect some samples. Here. The doctor throws Stu some latex gloves. <laughs> this is not how I expected to be spending my day. Those are very thin gloves. <laughs> uh, new innovation? What? The, oh. do- the doctor checks her watch. Oh, yes. From America. You'll be seeing a lot of them soon. Believe me, you'll soon get very wary when your doctor starts pulling them on before an exam. What? <laughs> uh, never mind him. Lab humour. When was this body discovered? About three hours ago, just before dawn. That's the woman who found him. The doctor moves over to chat to Ultima Thule, a local waffle woman. <laughs> What's your name, miss? Ultima Thule, ma'am. Can you tell me what happened? I was just on my morning rounds, dropping off clean linen and so forth. A flyby, if you will. I came down Pluto Street onto Cupia Lane here, and there he was. Oh, it was awful. The blood. Did you see anyone nearby? Oh, no, it was just him on the cobbles. Bit of dust and ice around, given the weather, but aside from that, oh, it was terrible. Thank you. Oh, I think I'm done with London. So much crime and hardship. Now it's a new year. I think I might seek out new horizons. Uh, Constable. (laughs) Perhaps a cup of tea for Miss Thule. A young Bobby directs Ultima Thule away from the crime scene. That was a bit of an anticlimax, really. The Doctor rejoins Inspector Aberline and Stu, who has turned a peculiar shade of green. Inspector, do you know who he is? Or 
was. Winton Winks. He was an itinerant dock worker on his way to St. Catherine's. But the weather has been bad. They're not open today. Stew stands up. So you're saying he was... Stew puts on a pair of sunglasses. Docked a day's pay. Yeah! Inspector Abilene looks confused. The doctor looks embarrassed. A man has died. Stew awkwardly removes his sunglasses. I was just... Murder is a lot more punchy where I'm from. (laughs) Stew goes back to looking at the body. He's new. What's NTC? It's on this badge he's wearing. Wow, that's a lot of blood. The Norway Trading Company. They're based at St. Catherine's Docks. It's like a red cordial flood in a meat mincing machine down here. Thanks, Stew. (laughs) Oh, gross. What even is this in his mouth? Doc? Are you quite well? The doctor scans the corpse with the sonic screwdriver. This looks like salt or flakes or scales. Close, but not quite right. This guy needed a dentist. Wow. Inspector, would you take Stu back with you to Scotland Yard and run lab tests on what this substance is? I'm going to pay a visit to the Norway Trading Company. Stu can be heard quietly retching again. (laughs) Will Mr. Late be all right? He's adjusting to the work. You know what they say... Better late than never. That is appalling. The doctor rushes rushes away. This way, Mr. Lace. You're lucky you don't look much like Johnny Depp. Who? Cut to a small, dingy store near a street sign saying, Fleet Street. Inside the gloom, we can hear the sounds of metal and water. As if... As if something is being washed. Against the back wall, we can see the shadow of a large triangle and some groaning noises as spooky atmospheric music plays. <laughs> Cut to St. Catherine's Dock. The doctor turns a few corners and looks up at signs until she sees one saying, Norway Trading Company. The doctor opens the door and the bell rings as she enters. Bell rings as she... Yeah. Ding, 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 ding. Sorry. She looks at a large map on the wall showing trade routes as well as some photographs, including one of four men on the bow of a ship called S.S. Jetson. Barnaby Shart enters. His clothes are heavily starched, matching his ironing board posture. He gives off slimy vibes. The most trading routes since the East India Company. We can acquire or deliver whatever you need, madam. Doctor, actually, with Scotland Yard. She flatters her psychic paper. How may I assist? Do you have a worker named Winton Winks on your books? I never heard that name. Would you mind double-checking? Of course, Doctor. Barnaby Shart goes behind a counter and pulls out a large employment ledger. He flicks through to the W section. Walker, Winton. No, 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 Winks, I'm afraid. Funny, he was on his way down here this morning to look for work. Many men line up for daily work with us, Doctor. Sadly, today we are unable to sail due to the unusually high tides. He had a pin with your company brand on it. We Where give... would he have got that? Those pins, we give them away, hundreds of them. He could have got it from anyone. Perhaps a fellow dock walker who didn't want it. Maybe. Interesting collection of pictures you have here. 
all over the world. Africa, the Mediterranean, South Pacific, Indonesia. The Dutch East Indies. Ah, uh, yes, another empire. British investment there is increasing. There are fine spices there, of course. Not to mention the rubber, <laughs> oil, and quinine. The doctor looks again at the photograph of a man aboard the SS Jefferson. Is that? Yes, Krakatoa, not long before the eruption. <laughs> Quite a moment. I remember. The Jefferson managed to get out of there before the cataclysm. Sadly, we lost a number of sailors, most of whom were on furlough in Java. Still, the ships and cargo were insured, so it didn't represent as big a loss to the company as we might be expected. More than 36,000 people died because of that volcano. Whole islands were wiped out. It caused a global temperature drop that we're only now, this year, starting to recover from. And your concern was the insurance? Madam. Doctor. Without trade, empires are nothing. And without workers, your trade routes go nowhere. Are you sure there is no Winton Winks on your book? Positive, madam. Mm-hmm. Doctor. Cut to Scotland Yard, establishing shot of the outside with horses and carts going past. <laughs> and bobbies on drills. <laughs> in a training area to the side. Skew is looking particularly delicate due to what we can only imagine is a terrible smell. I'm sorry we had to stop three times on the way here for me to vomit. I'm not quite used to the smells of you, London. You should have smelled it before Mr. Bazalgette installed his sewers. Also, this may not be the time to raise it, but I'm not actually qualified to do an actual autopsy. <laughs> the police surgeon should have that underway. They open the doors to the mortuary slash laboratory to find the police surgeon scribbling notes beside the corpse of Winton Winks. Inspector, good to see you. <laughs> this is Mr. Light, the new addition to the forensics team. Bond. Thomas Bond. Seriously? I mean, uh, uh, good day, sir. Always nice to meet another doctor. Oh, I'm not a doctor. I guess I intern for one? What can you tell us? Dr. Bond rips back the sheet covering Winton Weeks' face. Oh, sweet Jesus. Not the Ripper. Oh, wow, that blood is really congealed. It doesn't match the fine? Aside from the fact the victim is male, the death wound is all wrong. The prostitutes, sex workers, had their throats slashed from left to right, suggesting the killer was right-handed, and approached the victims from the right-hand side. This man was attacked solely on the torso in a vicious, stabbing manner. Does it bear any resemblance to the Thames torso murders? Ah, only that the torso is a feature in both cases. Again, the victims there were women, and this is a very aggravated attack on a man. Torso murders? Yes, the discovery of women's remains in the Thames at Raynham last year and Whitehall this year. Oh man, how is that not as famous as Jack the Ripper? It's perhaps because the killer did not attract a memorable sobriquet. <laughs> Dismemberment Dan? Torso Terry? There is, however, something water-based in this case that I believe you spotted, Mr. Lee. The trunk caller? Oh, I'm sorry, what? The presence of material in the mouth <laughs> of the victim. Oh yes, the uh, scaly bits. Ossicles, actually. Calcium carbonate plates. They form the endoskeleton of starfish. Starfish? How did you know that? I have a timeshare in the Maldives. 
<laughs> so the unfortunate Mr. Winks had a starfish shoved in his mouth at some point during this fatal assault. So it would appear. High five for detective work, Inspector. Get it? Because a starfish has five arms. Never mind. Uh, yes, mm. there's something else. Uh, it's interesting you raise your hand, Mr. Late. The ossicles are not just in Mr. Winks' mouth, but also underneath his fingernails. You fought back. Quite ferociously. Mr. Winks was a dock worker, not without strength, and one would expect to draw blood with that level of self-defense. But there is none to be found under the nails. Just ossicles. And this is relevant because... Because starfish, Inspector Abilene, do not have blood. Dramatic musical sting! <laughs> Cut to outside the Whitechapel Bell Foundry. Dozens of workers are filing out of the gates after they shift. There's general chatter among the men as they head towards the pub. We see one man, Gideon O'Grady, check his pocket and realize he's forgotten something. Oh, I've left my watch in the workshop. Go on, I'll catch it to ten bells. The man heads back towards the gate, but then hears a loud crash and a faint cry from down a nearby dark laneway. He goes to investigate. Is someone there? Do you need help? A loud sucking noise is heard. And in the dim light, we see a triangular shadow on the wall. Five years. Who are you? A beam of light falls over the mysterious creature, so Gideon can see it, but the audience cannot. What are you? Angry. The mysterious creature lunges at Gideon O'Grady, and he screams! Ah, Bikara! <laughs> Thrashing and thrusting noises can be heard. Yeah, oh, yeah it really hurts. Oh, get out of there. Oh, what are you doing? Cut to Scotland Yard! Inspector Aveline and Stu are leading the building just as the doctor pulls up in a handsome cab. So what were the scales? Uh, not scales, ossicles from Starfish. Starfish? Doctor, the victim's wife, widow, lives not far. We were going to see if she could reveal more. Well then what are you waiting for? Bessie here will take us. The horse whinnies and <laughs> the shoe and Inspector Aveline climb aboard. Oh, Bessie know. takes off at speed through the streets. Cut to inside the Winks' living room. Mrs. Winks is seated and quietly sobbing. <laughs> Stu and Inspector Abilene are seated near her while the doctor pokes around the room. Quentin was a good provider. What am I going to do? Perhaps I can talk to the Norway Trading Company. Not much point. They didn't even have him on their books. Hey, Doc, even I know to be a bit more sensitive around the widow. Oh, that's all right. I'm not surprised Norway didn't have him formally registered. He was a good worker, dedicated, but he got sick a lot, and it would sometimes keep him out of work for weeks. Made it hard to hold down a full-time position. That must have been hard on you. Well, yes, because it meant I'd have to go back on the game. Oh, you, you don't need to go into It's how we met. Ten years ago! Now, that's lovely, but again, you don't Penny need to... farthing, they used to call me. Oh, this is awkward. Jump on board for a bird-shaking ride! Oh, oh, God. Yes, that's what they used to say. <laughs> Maybe 
me, I'll just go back on the game now that Witten's gone. Doc, can you help here? The doctor has been distracted by a picture above the mantelpiece. It is identical to the one she saw at the Norway Trading Company. Mrs. Winks, this picture. Oh yes, that's my Linton there on the far left. That was the last voyage he ever crewed on. Hey, that giant volcano, is that... Krakatoa! <laughs> Their steamship Jefferson was trading around Java in the days before the explosion. Cut to flashback. The SS Jefferson is anchored off Krakatoa, which is a rumbling steadily. Four merchant seamen are on the beach, loading bundles of chinchilla tree branches into a small boat. They are Gideon O'Grady, Winton Winks, Cecil Glanz, and Todd Sheedy. This is going to be a tidy bit on the side. I'm going to buy the missus a new hat. And you're sure the captain won't notice the, the extra c- cargo? Come on, Sheeny. You know Captain Archibald and Bova <laughs> wouldn't notice pirates attacking a midship, the old truck. Oh, as, as long as you're sure, <coughs> Gideon O'Grady breaks off a piece of bark and throws it at Todd Sheeny. Here you go, Sheeny. Put that into some water with gin and you'll be right as rain. A loud eruption interrupts. And four men look slightly panicked towards the volcano. Fucking hell! Oh, Jesus. Oh, my goodness. (laughs) Cut back to present day. Winton said hearing that volcano put the fear of God into him. They smuggled out their extra cargo of quinine. But Winton said poor Todd Sheeney died of malaria on the way home. Fancy that, escaping Krakatoa, but dying of a mosquito bite. Hmm, fancy that. That's pretty metal, though, seeing Krakatoa go off. What about the two other men? Did they keep in touch? Gideon O'Grady and Cecil Glanz? No! Winton didn't even like to mention them. I think they reminded him too much of that volcano. He reckons he got ash in his lungs, see, and that's why he got so sick so often. There is a sudden knock at the door. Inspector Abeline answers it. It's another young constable with an urgent message. Sir, HQ said you'd be here. Uh, there's been another attack. Dum, dum, dum. Dramatic music sting as everyone looks at each other. Mrs. Wicks, may I borrow this picture? Of course, but uh, what's going on? She doesn't get to answer as Inspector Abeline, the doctor and Stu pile out of the house and back to the handsome cab outside. Cut! To the Whitechapel Bell Foundry. Inspector Abeline, the doctor and Stu cross into the dark lane near the foundry, closed off to nosy locals by uniformed bobbies. I like to see things with my face. They walk up to the latest corpse. The doctor holds up the picture. Gideon O'Grady, that's two in one day. The manner of execution appears identical. Mr. Leach, your thoughts? Yep, seems legit. Which means, if Sheenie is already dead... We need to find Glanz. Dramatic musical sting! Dun-dun-dun! <laughs> Stu tries to hold back a snort but fails. Uh, Glanz? Cut! <laughs> to Cecil Glanz hovel. Darkness has fallen, with mist swirling around the streets of Whitechapel. We see Cecil Glanz shuffling towards his front door. He opens it and squeezes inside. The place is full of hoarded rubbish, lots of sea-related anchors, lifebuoys, maps on the walls, specimens of sea creatures, and fish tanks. 
Cecil places some newspaper wrapped packages on an already messy chair and goes back over to his fish tanks and sprinkles some greasy gross food stuff into the bowels. Hello, Rasmus. Here you go, Zachariah. Don't worry, Lucius, I'm not forgetting you. He picks up Lucius's fishbowl and a loud breathing sound is heard. <sighs> Did you forget me? Cecil drops the fish tank, which shatters to the ground. Who's there? Show yourself, don't you know? <laughs> the mysterious creature moves into the light. It is Jefferson Starfish! He is half-man, half-starfish monstrosity with a mangled face in the middle of a, the central arm. Five years. I will have my revenge! Jesus. Cut to me my street! The Doctor, Stu, Inspector Abilene, and a couple of constables are running along the cobblestones. The Doctor has her sonic out, scanning. Those ossicles you found, there's traces of them this way. If we assume a monster killed both Winton Wicks and Gideon O'Grady and is heading for Cecil Glands, we should just be able to follow it. It's like a really gross Hansel and Gretel. They turn the corner and run up to Cecil Glands' house. There! They run up to the door. The doctor breaks the lock with her sonic. Bang! And they burst in. Boom. This is definitely the home of a serial killer. They hear groaning noises from the next room. Inspector Abilene pulls out his pistol and the constables ready their truncheons. They run in to see Jefferson Starfish shoving a starfishy hand into Cecil Glenn's face in the middle of a sort of flotsam and jetsam. You left me! You left me! Cecil lets out a muffled scream! Stop! Starfish, stop! Jefferson Starfish turns around and lets out a starfishy howl! Doctor, I've got a good shot! No! Don't shoot! Look at him! He's beautiful! That is objectively the ugliest thing that has ever existed. Open your mind, Stu. Seriously, Doctor, this is the kind of nightmare hentai porn is made of. Jefferson Starfish lunges at the new intruders but cannot move fast. I will have my revenge! Revenge? For what? What are you? Were you a monster on Krakatoa lying dormant until these chaps found you? What did they do to you? Cecil, tell them. It wasn't. It wasn't meant to happen. We tried to reach you. You left me. Wait, Todd Sheeney. Mrs. Wink said he died of malaria on the way home, but he didn't, did he? We were trying to leave. Cut to flashback. 1883 Krakatoa, picking up from where the last flashback ended. The eruption has panicked the four merchant seamen. They jump into the boat and start rowing back to S.S. Jefferson. Oh, row. A sudden wave sweeps up the boat and washes over Ted Sheeney. Oh, bloody hell. He is washed out of the boat. Sheeney, we cannot go back. Swim. <laughs> I, I can't swim. 
Todd Sheeney sinks under the surface. The boat keeps rowing away. Sheeney, oh my goodness. Cut to under the ocean. Sheeney sinks to the shallow sandy floor. Dozens of starfish begin crawling towards him with their tiny freaky mouths. (laughs) They cover him and begin eating him and sucking at his life force. Just then, a lava stream pours over them all. We see the full eruption of Krakatoa. Wow. (laughs) BBC budget. In the aftermath, we see a large ball of pumice stone floating on the water. On top is Todd Sheeney, his human form subsumed into a freakish starfish shape, harnessed by lava power. He stirs, then stands up on the pumice stone, waving his starfishy arms at the the sky and howls. (laughs) Cut back to present. It was an accident. You could have helped me. Instead, you let me to die. I swear I would paddle that pumice stone until it reached home to make you all suffer the way I did. It took me five years. Suddenly, Jefferson Starfish shivers and semi-collapses. The doctor scans him with her sonic. He's cold. He may once have been an Englishman. But his DNA now is mostly Indonesian starfish. He can't survive here. I mean, the obvious question is whether he should survive at all. We can help you. But, Ravenge! Mate, <laughs> you paddled a pumice stone from the Indian Ocean to London. You know what they say, success is the best revenge, and you're the most successful sailor I've ever met. I'm tired. I'm not surprised. Doctor, this monster has murdered two people. I need to take him into custody. Those were just primal animalistic urges. Actually, I killed a few people on the journey back here, too. I I discovered I really had a taste for it. Look, do you want help or not? Please don't hurt me, Todd. I'm so sorry. I've collected all these maps, all these nautical items, these fish in your memory, in hope that someday, somehow, your spirit would forgive me. Also because you're a hoarder. What? Uh, nothing. Don't let me spoil the moment. Doctor, I cannot allow this monster back onto the streets. Don't worry, Abbas. I've got a nice spot in mind for him. Cut to a bit of ocean between Java and Sumatra. The TARDIS materializes. <laughs> the Doctor and Sue open the doors into the bright sunshine. Come on, then. Jefferson Starfish slowly edges his way to the door of the TARDIS. We've come forward in time to New Year's Day 1928, where something very special is about to happen. There is a series of loud explosions and cracks, and a volcano begins to emerge from the seas. This is Anak Krakatoa, the child of Krakatoa. It's taken the place of the volcano that erupted in 1883 that caused you to be created. Here, you can rest on its hot lava sands and be at home. But I will be alone. Look. They look into the water to see thousands of starfish floating towards the new volcanic island. It's a constellation of star fish. You will be among your kind. And remember, when you can reproduce asexually, you're never truly alone. Thank you, Doctor. I may be a murderous freak of nature, but I'm glad you could see... The good in me! Jefferson Starfish jumps out of the TARDIS into the water and floats with all the other starfish. 
Well, that's a happy ending to a really gross series of events. Yeah. You know, I realised, Doctor, that starfish regenerate, just like you. And that's why you were so nice. Maybe. But, Doctor, there's one question I still have. Who really was Jack the Ripper? Oh, he's a totally different alien. Should we let Abilene know? Stew thinks for a moment. There are so many people making good money off Jack the Ripper these days. It's problematic, but let's let them have their fun. I'm glad you could join me in this morally grey area, Stu. Well, you know what they say. We built this city on rock and roll. We built, we built this city. <laughs> we built this city on rock and roll. We built this city. There, there, there. We built this city on rock and roll. Hello, <laughs> <laughs> everyone. He's gone into the groove. Uh, what did everyone think? It's oh. fun. It's good. That was real. That was so much better than it had to be. <laughs> that was Jefferson Starfish, our collab with the Raven on podcast. It was just a bit of fun. I doubt it'll happen again. Let's just see what happens in the future. It was just fun to work with fun people. I'm very lucky that I get to work with amazingly talented and funny people from all around the world in all different areas. I'm very, very lucky indeed. Now, you may be wondering, where was Dan? Now, Dan is a vital part of this podcast, and he was invited to the recording, but unlike me, Gregoire, Dan is only human. You see, I caught a cold, and my alien physiology kicked in, the nanobots kicked in very quickly and converted that Ebola-like virus into something harmful that smelled basically of air freshener. Within 24 hours, I'd purge it through my system, but unfortunately, I'd already given it to Dan. And Dan is made of pure hypochondriasm. And basically, he was knocked out for the entire week. Now, Dan does get sicker than me. I'm not really having a go. And it's good that he doesn't want to spread his diseases to people. He didn't want to spread it to his nonagenarian grandfather. So well done, Dan. But unfortunately, it did mean that he did miss out on Jefferson Starfish. That's why I had so many parts. Everything Dan was meant to do, I got to do. In the future, hopefully, I won't give him my terrible diseases. It's the big problem. When I meet him in real life, after a couple of months, I travel from one side of the country to the other, and suddenly I get a disease for a very small period of time, and then I spread it to all my friends. Hooray! It's very useful. Anyway, ladies and gentlemen, can I just say that you're looking unbelievably attractive right now? Have you been working out? Is it You've done something with your hair? Or maybe it's just a, a new brooch you're wearing or some pants or something. I don't know what it is, but you're doing very well. So keep up that thing, whatever you're doing, and we'll see you next time for Wild Wonders Why. Mm-hmm.